Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome and thanks for joining us for today's session titled Lessons in Leadership. This afternoon, we're excited to have with us two very accomplished individuals who also happen to be former student athletes to share their thoughts on various facets of leadership as experienced throughout their career journeys. Janae Elsie and Oliver Luck have unique career paths and will share their respective pearls of wisdom with us as our members navigate your own journey within the intercollegiate enterprise. Our session mon moderator, Janae Elsie, is a two-time graduate of Stanford University where she was an All-American gymnast, currently serving as Chief Growth Officer for Athletes First Partners. Um, Elsie is responsible for developing, implementing growth strategies across international and other non-traditional revenue streams for the agency. She has over two decades of experience as a global sports and entertainment executive, previous, previously serving in roles with the NBA as both Vice President of International Marketing and Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Europe, Middle East, and Africa, as well as similar international roles with NBC Universal and Comcast. Janae, thank you for joining us today. Our speaker, Oliver Luck, is certainly familiar to many joining us today. Oliver's had a notable career in athletics administration at many levels. Within the intercollegiate athletics, Luck previously served as director of intercollegiate athletics at his alma mater, West Virginia University, before being named executive vice president for regulatory affairs with the NCAA, a post he held until 2018. A former collegiate and professional quarterback, Luck has also been su successful in the professional ranks, serving in high leadership positions with the NFL, Major League Soccer's Houston Dynamo, and most recently, Commissioner and CEO of the XFL. Oliver, we appreciate you taking time to be with us today, and we look forward to your insights. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you, our live attendees joining on Zoom, that you can ask questions throughout the session by using the Q&A feature at the bottom of your Zoom window. We will respond to as many questions as possible at the end of this session. I'd also like to thank our sponsor of today's session, Packy Olin, a leader in ticketing, fundraising, marketing, analytics, and technology solutions with more than 40 years of experience. Packy Olin has been a longtime supporter of NACTA, and we appreciate the strong relationship that we have built through the years. That said, I will now pass the baton off to Janae to begin the conversation. Thank you both again very much. So thank you, Bob, for that handoff. Oliver, it's good to see you again, as always. Thank and you, Janae. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be with you, and let me thank Bob as well. Thanks, Bob. Fantastic. So I don't really think that there's anyone better to talk to about leadership. Um, and I really, you know, I wanted to start off just, you know, this year, coronavirus, economic recession, social unrest, political unrest, wildfires in the West. So if you could tell us in, in, in sort of a sports analogy, how would you sum up the year so far? Well, you know, it's been a, a crazy year for almost everybody, regardless of where you are geographically or chronologically, where you are with your career. And I think it's one of those moments that uh, forces everybody to take a step back and maybe reassess things and really realize what's, what's important. But I guess if I had to do a sports analogy, it would be 
someone who is just about an athlete, of course, who is just about to start a season, doesn't matter what sport, just about to start the season, you've trained, you, you're prepared, and guess what? You get injured, right? We've all faced that as athletes over the years. You get injured, and you might be out for six weeks. You might be out for eight weeks. You might get put on injured reserve, uh, you know, if you're a pro player, but you, you're, you're not part of that team. You're, you're in that never-never land, that sort of purgatory between, you know, being healthy and not quite being healthy. Uh, you're in the training room perhaps a little bit too much. You begin to lose touch with your teammates and coaches because if you're not part of that team, you sort of get pushed to the back. And then you're ready to come back. And just as you're ready to jump into that game, guess what? You get hurt again. And it might be the same injury. It might become a nagging injury. It might be something different. And you never seem to get in sync. You never seem to get in that rhythm that all athletes really need, I think, to perform at their, at their peak. Uh, so to me, it's one of these injury-ridden seasons that uh, aren't really uh, very comforting to anybody. They're frustrating, uh, and not just to the athletes themselves, but to fans, to coaches, to, to others. And gosh, you know, just this morning waking up to the news that a couple of the NFL teams, the uh, Titans, my old team, of course, I'm an old Houston Oiler, but the Titans and the Vikings both with, you know, COVID cases. So, you know, maybe we're starting to see that as well hit the National Football League that up until now had done, you know, done a pretty good job. So it's just one of those incomplete years. If, if, uh, if the Queen of England were to comment on it, she would say it's an anus horribilis, right, which is the word she used way back when. But it's just a, a tough, really tough year. And hopefully uh, we're not at the end of it, but hopefully what, what we see the next, you know, few months gets a lot better. Yeah, and you're you're giving me a little bit of flashbacks to <laughs> to, uh, to college, of course. Um, you know, being familiar with with injuries, I think one of the other things that's really interesting is as you kind of made you build the picture around being injured. One of the things that happens is you kind of have to start building up different muscles, right? Um, yeah. You know, just in the way we were just talking about the fact that all of a sudden the entire world seems to have transferred to Zoom. And you know, I think there's going to be a lot of, of of ways that we have to adapt. And so, you know, I want to start though taking us back to the week that really changed everything. Certainly in sports, right? The week of March 9th. So March 11th, we had the NBA uh, cancel its game, its season, suspended season, and then we had the NCAA, of course, right after that, coming out with their big announcement around March Madness. So can you take us back to that week? Um, what was going on for you in particular and what, what you kind of made of that at that time? Sure. So that, that week was, uh, was really an incredible week, I think, as people look back on it now and certainly years from now when they look back and see how much was just stopped, right, almost immediately. It's, it's inconceivable. But uh, of course, I was uh, the commissioner of the XFL at the time. We had made it through five weeks of play. Uh, we had a 10-week season, relatively short, and two weeks of playoffs. We had made it through week five of our season. And, you know, we're doing relatively well. We had some solid TV ratings on Fox and ESPN. Our attendance at most of our, uh, in most of our sites was, was pretty solid. The quality of play had, had gotten a, a, a good bit better since week one. So I think we were on a little bit of a roll. And we had a big decision. Could we play week six, you know, the slate of games for week six? Uh, the first game for that weekend was a game out in Seattle. And, you know, there were, um, you know, the world was shutting down, as you had mentioned. And, you know, we, we had to deal with, with television partners, of course. 
you know, and they have personnel and that, those personnel were concerned about going to Seattle. If you remember, Seattle was one of the early hotspots, right, for the, the virus. We had players that all of a sudden had concerns about traveling. Uh, you know, there was just a myriad of concerns that existed. And ultimately, you know, we were not able to make week six. The NBA shut down, the NHL shut down. You mentioned, uh, you know, the tournament uh, was, was called off. And it was just an incredible sort of deflation of everybody's spirit, you know, that had worked for so hard, in many cases, some folks for, you know, a couple of years leading up to that launch. But everybody was deflated across, you know, across the sports spectrum, whether it was professional sports or amateur sports. And I remember saying to myself, you know, as, as a leader, I said, I, I can't, you know, show my staff how disappointed I am. Of course, everybody assume you're saddened by not being able to continue to play. Uh, but you also have to put on a, a, an upbeat face, particularly, you know, with a startup like, uh, like what we had. So uh, we had an all staff meeting that next day and kind of walked through, you know, what, uh, what happened and why. But I was so focused on trying to make sure that I was staying positive enough without being just a sort of false cheerleader, if you will, right? Um, and that's, I think, part of sort of leadership in these turbulent times is you have to find that right balance between being honest and candid with staff and people aren't stupid. They see what's happening around them. But ultimately, you know, leaders have to supply a level of confidence and a level of optimism and a belief that, you know, we too can get out of this, this too shall pass and we can move on. So uh, that's something that I think really applies at all different levels. Doesn't mean if you have to be the CEO or the, or the top dog, you know, in an organization, it filters all the way down uh, to really some, you know, some of the junior level staffers because, you know, everybody looks to everybody else and by and large, people want to be around folks that believe at least that they, they see a vision and a way out of the, you know, the current situation. Absolutely. And I, I completely believe that, you know, sports really kind of was the, the view into what was going to happen at the, at the broader level, just across the world. And, you know, I, I think why that, that week became so real and became such the defining point for so many people is I, I live here in New York City. And I remember just walking outside and walking around the street and hearing people, just random people on the street talking about, oh my God, they, they, they canceled the NBA. They, they, they canceled NCAA. Like that moment felt like a very visceral moment. It felt like it became real for everybody, for the general public. And I think that really speaks to how sports really transcends almost everything. And, and people can really understand um, the impact once, once everything stopped with sports, it just feel, it, it felt like that that was kind of the, the catalyst for everything else. Sure. Well, you know, I mean, sports is, is a part of our culture, obviously. You know, I think we're probably one of the most, if not the most sport fascinated, you know, countries in this, in this, uh, in this, you know, globe of ours. And, you know, we've taken it for granted. We take it for granted every year that there's a season we take for granted every year that, uh, you know, our kids can compete in youth sports and can, you know, burn off all that energy they have when they come home from school. So we take all of that, you know, obviously for, for granted. And when it really is shut down, you know, I think the last time most folks could remember, you know, at least older, older folks was maybe during the war years when, uh, you know, or back in 1918, not many of us around that witnessed that, you know, when we had another pandemic. 
Uh, but it's something that we take for granted. And I think there's some positive in having something taken away, even if it's just temporarily, uh, because you really realize how much it means to you as a coach, as a player, as a fan, as an administrator. You really realize that, oh, my gosh, this is my livelihood. And if it doesn't exist, I, I have to sort of question a lot of different things. But uh, I'm sure you did that, right, with, with what you're doing for Athletes First and the brands that you work with and all the athletes. I certainly did that, you know, given, uh, you know, my sort of uh, experience over the years with professional and college sports. Uh, but it, it all of a sudden makes you truly realize how important something like that is, is to you and how important it is to other people. That's, that's, that's critical. Yeah. Well, you know, I certainly from the, the, the standpoint of, you know, dealing with brands, I think the one, if I had to, you know, pick one word, um, it would be uncertainty, right? And, and the fact that brands are managing to the next day, they're, they're no longer able to say, well, I know what's going to happen in the next six months. So here's how I'm going to spend my marketing dollars. So as you know, kind of putting that into the collegiate setting, um, whether that's on the academic side or whether that's on the, the, athlete, the athletic side, you know, one of the things from a leadership perspective, especially is you're managing with a, an unprecedented level of uncertainty. So you know, putting yourself, you, you've, you've obviously been in a, worn a lot of different shoes as an athlete, as a coach, as an administrator, um, how do we think about managing uncertainty, particularly in a time like this, um, and in particularly with, with very young people uh, as, as athletes, as student athletes? I, I think there are a couple of things that one can do, but the first, I think, thing that any leader needs to do, again, at, at any level, is to accept that there's uncertainty. And, you know, you try to sort of peek around the corner into the future and see what things may look like. Uh, but I think it's, uh, it requires a certain level of humility to say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the future necessarily will hold. But, you know, collectively as a group, your team, uh, your entire athletic department staff, your university, you can sh begin to shape that future. And that's the fun part, right? So it's not helplessly looking on, but it's beginning to understand where you may have a lever or two to begin to shape that future. And I think it's important as you go through that, that sort of uncertain time to really over-communicate, right? I mentioned earlier about sort of injuries. You know, we all have faced injuries. You miss time, I'm sure, as a gymnast in college. I miss plenty of time as a football player. And you never quite know when you might be back. You might even get conflicting opinions from a team doctor or a doctor from you know, your, your hometown that you may have visited because you weren't quite sure if you were getting the, the best advice. So you'll get some conflicting uh, opinions, but I think it's critical you know, to over-communicate, for, you know, for a coach to over-communicate with a player that may be injured or may be out for a while. Right? Don't let that young person sort of sink into that funk of, oh my gosh, I'm not sure when I can play. I'm not sure if there's even going to be a season. I wonder why I'm doing all of this. And I think that that applies as well to staff people, you know, as, a, as an AD or an associate AD, uh, you, you know, move around your campus, you know, visit with the assistant equipment manager, make sure that he or she is feeling okay and upbeat, right? Because people do get depressed when they don't have that rhythm and they don't have that Saturday afternoon football game or the Monday evening, you know, basketball game or, or whatever it would be. So I think over communicating is important. 
And you don't have to spend a whole lot of time necessarily with each individual person. Some departments are, are massive, but if you're you know, managing 10 or 10, 15 or 20 people, it's good to touch base and let them know that, hey, I don't really know either what the future is gonna hold, but I think together we can figure this out. I got pretty good confidence level that we'll, we'll figure this out and, and do the right thing. I think the other thing that's interesting is when there is uncertain times, I think people tend to sort of fall back on some of the core values. Like, why are we really in intercollegiate athletics, you know? And the reason ultimately is to serve young men and young women, give them a great experience, teach them lessons that I really don't think can be taught anywhere else except, you know, on the court, in the pool, on the basketball diamond, you know, uh, on the baseball diamond, et cetera. So I think sometimes you can fall back a little bit on some of the values and maybe a brand even kind of falls back on some of its values and they, they have to ask themselves as brand managers, what do we really stand for in the long term or in the midterm? Because we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. So sort of falling back in those very traditional solid values, I think, is part of what one has to do when they're going through sort of some, some uncertain times. Yeah. So there's two things that 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 really resonated with with what you with what you just said. So I think the first the first one is that this idea of how do you keep people together? You know, we're in a virtual world now. Um, you know, back when I was competing in gymnastics, so much of what we did was the bonding that happened in the gym, in the training room, at training table. Um, now that that's you know that's effectively gone, at least temporarily. Um, and whether that happens in the office or whether that happens in the gym, whether that happens on campus, we're operating in a virtual world. So I really like, you know, what you're saying about over communicating, over communicating and transparency is the key. Now we have to kind of take it to a new level because there is just not physical presence right now in most, in most places. Um, so I really, I, I really, I think that that's really important. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I think, there, there are certain people, I, I'd like to think I was this way, where, you know, in, in the olden days, right, before, you know, before the pandemic, you know, you would sort of, it's the equivalent of walking the shop floor to talk to folks to find out, you know, what the, what was happening in, at your business within your industry. You know, you walk down the hallway, you pop your head in, just say hello for 30 seconds to talk to the assistant tennis coach or, you know, talk to, uh, you know, one of the academic advisors and just sort of ask, how you doing? How's your family? Everything Okay. But now in the Zoom world, you have to be much more purposeful, right? You really have to decide, okay, I'm gonna make you know, five phone calls, you know, individually chat with folks, right? And that, that's a, a skill that one has to develop, right? It, it's sort of like what you had said earlier, Janae, about you know, beginning to work different muscles, right? Mm -hmm. To maybe overcome uh, you know, an injury or so. And I think in this era, we all have to be pretty candid with ourselves and also pretty humble that yeah, I, I might need to be more purposeful. I might need to you know, say to myself, I'm gonna make 10 phone calls a day and just touch base with people for you know, no more than two or three minutes. I was a political candidate years ago in a failed race, I lost. But one of the things I took away was during the campaign when these, all these campaign experts tell you that you know, in order to raise money, you've gotta you know, say to yourself every day, I'm going to call 10 donors and raise, you know, X number of dollars, whatever that is. And I won't stop calling until I reach that level. And that's, I think, in a sense, the kind of sort of approach you may need to take in this virtual world where we just don't see each other in the hallway anymore, or don't see each other in the, in the break room. And those are meaningful conversations. They may be short. They may be 
uh, you know, sort of trite, but I think they're very meaningful conversations, no matter where you are, again, in the, in the, you know, the university or the athletic department hierarchy. Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, speaking of that, I think, you know, as a, as a former athlete, I had a chance, like everybody else did at the beginning of this sort of pandemic, everyone was on Zoom reunion calls for every excuse you could think of, right? So um, I, I have found also with, with athletes, particularly student athletes who are used to a very disciplined kind of lifestyle, um, this, can, this can also be really challenging when you don't really have the guardrails that you had before. And so now you've got, you've got athletes that are coming back to campus. Again, there's a lot of uncertainty. The, 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 the days probably are not laid out as, um, as clearly as they, they used to be. So talk a little bit about how you manage that aspect of it, the, the sort of the, the discipline piece and encouraging people to exactly as you say, to keep with, stick with the routine, whether it's calling a certain number of clients a day or whether it's checking in with a certain number of athletes a day um, or, or your employees. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think that, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a couple of things. One, it's important, right, to try to keep those traditional daily or weekly or monthly events going on, even if it is over Zoom. I mean, in a sense, it's remarkable how quickly everybody has adopted to, you know, the various uh, platforms that people are using for, you know, for virtual meetings. So I think it's important to keep that, you know, that sort of, you know, connection going. That's important as well for coaches, you know, who have spent a good bit of time, you know, teaching, you know, over Zoom or putting game plans in or lesson plans, if you will, you know, over, over Zoom. So I, I think that's critical. I also think that ultimately, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations are important, you know, as well. Certainly with, with student athletes, you know, who are young. Uh, they're 17, 18, 19, obviously 20 years old, whatever. This is the, probably the first time they've gone through something really strange like this, you know, in the, the length of the, of the pandemic. Uh, I, I guess I compare it again to the sort of injury thing where, you know, a, a young person can lose a bunch of confidence if you're not able to compete, if you're not, you know, out there, uh, training or you're not at a hundred percent and you know that that's important if there's one good thing that may have come out of all of this is is a renewed maybe not even renewed maybe just for the first time a focus on mental health of, of particularly of student athletes but not, not just student athletes you know all of us that are dealing with this you know pandemic and you know how do people relax how do they how do they recover their their sort of sense of normalcy a little bit or get a little bit of the you know, endorphins going and, and, and feel good about themselves after sitting for, you know, whatever, uh, eight hours on, on Zoom calls on a daily basis. So I think sort of this, uh, re this focus, maybe not renewed, but this focus on mental health, th th it may be good coming out of this that all of us, right, from, you know, the top on down are much more aware and sensitive to the mental health of student athletes and how important that is. And it's not just important for themselves as human beings, but I firmly believe you, you would probably agree you perform better when you're feeling good, right? When you just have a good level of self-confidence and you feel like you're in control of your environment more or less and, and your, 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 your academics are going okay. You don't have to worry about those while you're out and, you know, at practice or during a game. I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to clear your head and really focus on, on the sport. So I think this, this uh, concept that, hey, let's be a little bit more sensitive to mental health might might be one of the few positives coming out of the pandemic. 
I, I would agree with that. And I think that goes to you know, the second point that you brought up a, a little bit ago about how do you adapt you know, in some way and, and really kind of get to the core of what truly matters. So for brands, you, know, you see a lot of brands that are coming back to a, a really um, positive message. There's a lot now that's happening in cause marketing. There are a lot of uh, brands that are saying, what do we truly stand for? And you know, from a, a mental health perspective, you know, that, that's one of the, the consistently identified as one of the top challenges and issues with, with students and students athletes you know you're a student and then on top of that you got another job which is being an athlete um, and I think that is I, I, I love your point about that because I, I think that you know we kind of people knew that it was out there but I think it got a little bit brushed under the rug because there were just so many other things going on and now it's really kind of putting on display how do you really manage um, to help people manage their stress levels and help people manage their their mental health no, that's that's right. And I would I would add, you know, sort of one more layer to all of this, which really, in a sense, is remarkable, which is, you know, the social justice concerns that exist, right? And throughout the, the country at all sort of different levels. And and you know, that's causing, I think, additional stress, right? So just beyond the pandemic and not 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 being able to participate, not knowing if the season's gonna happen or how long it may happen if I only can I play seven games or is it 11 or 12? And all of that, that, that certainly creates a level of, of, of stress and, and anxiety. But I think, you know, certainly for a lot of young college athletes as they look around the country, I think there's a real issue of, of you know, what can I do to help, you know, move this country forward and get past a lot of, you know, a lot of the turmoil. And even just to talk about that, right? To talk about that you know, over the, over the training room table or in the, in the training room itself or in the locker room, right, where all those great conversations historic, historically have taken place, you know, it's almost incumbent upon us as leaders and adults, right, in, in the collegiate world to create those, those um, platforms where kids can communicate, even if it's virtual, because that's an important part of college. It's an important part of growing up. I can't, you know, I, I, I truly can't imagine looking back at my four years of college and not having all that camaraderie in the locker room, in the training room, you know, on game day and practice, all the joking, all the laughing, all the teasing, you know, all the great moments, all the low moments, right, all the emotion. And, you know, that, that keeps people going, certainly kept me going as a student athlete. So I think when you add that extra layer of what's happening around the country, I think it, it, it really should make all of us, you know, stand up straight or, uh, or you know, sit up straight in our chairs and say, well, we've, we've got to make sure we have appropriate platforms. Forget about the sport. Forget about the, the game plan. Forget about whether practice is going to take place tomorrow or not. Let's talk and, because that's important as well. It, you know, every team is a family for a kid, no matter where you come from, white, black, rural, urban, doesn't matter. It's a family. Coaches talk about it, you know, almost ad nauseum, but it really is a family. When that family can't get together, it's tough. Absolutely. You know, when the family is hurting, you, you have to address that. And so I, I really, I like the fact that you brought up the, the social justice piece, because I do, what I find is really interesting is, is how, whether it's coaches, whether it's administrators, whether it's academic leaders, are really kind of bridging the gap with athletes who uh, you're you're exactly right feel such a 
a um, desire to make some sort of a difference, to make, you know, to make some sort of a statement. Um, and I, I, I really haven't seen that, you know, um, before where athletes and coaches, yes, it happens in the locker room, always has, but now that it's happening, you know, much more publicly, I think that's also really interesting. And it's, it is important for the coaches and the, the administrators to understand what their role is in helping athletes feel or student athletes, um, giving them a safe space to kind of be who they are and, and express what they need to express. Well, you know, I, I, I think back, you know, to, you know, that camaraderie in the locker room, right? And if that's all of a sudden just taken away from a young man, from a young woman, again, doesn't matter where that person may have come from, what the background is, but when that, when that's taken away, that's, that's critical. That's a, you know, sort of a, a vital organ in the, in the body, if you will. And, you know, so it's hard to recreate it, but I think, again, everybody should really think about ways that that can be recreated, even, even at, you know, sort of a minimalistic level, uh, because it, it is so important. I, I, you know, uh, I learned life lessons in the locker room, you know, more so than maybe I learned, you know, academically uh, or, you know, attending law school, right? You learn life lessons in the locker room. There are a raw emotions, you have to learn leadership. You have to learn how to also be a follower in the locker room, right? Uh, so, you know, taking that away is, is something that really, you know, can hurt, you know? So uh, we just have to be sensitive to that, I think, and figure out ways working with a whole bunch of different people on, on your campus, your medical staff, psychologists, you know, how, how to best recreate that so that, you know, kids do, in fact, stay engaged and don't sort of, you know, feel as though they're they're a little bit directionless right coaches coaches love to give direction you know <laughs> athletes typically need direction so that they you know can lead that sort of structured lifestyle and you pull out some of that structure you pull out you know one or two of that of those underpinnings and it can it can really have a, a negative effect yeah and and you know you talk about pulling together different sort of levers of support for for athletes um, you know, there's, there are multiple stakeholders, obviously, that are involved in any athletic department, any athletic program. So talk a little bit about sort of, you know, bringing those groups together. As, as you mentioned, there are, there are, um, there are academics, there are, are, are doctors, there are, um, you know, donors, boosters, everybody kind of is in some way, shape, or form involved with what's happening on campus. And so how do you think about, as a leader, what is your responsibility to sort of make sure that all stakeholders are, are heard and are effective for what we ultimately need, which is to best support our student athletes? That's a great question. And I, I guess I would answer it by starting with this, which is, you know, having been involved in, in professional sports, whether it's with the XFL or, or the NFL or MLS, I always thought that, you know, a, a professional sports executive lived more or less in, the, in a binary world, right? Two things matter, you know, in professional sports. Number one, are you winning more games? And if you're not, why not? And number two, can you make more money? <laughs> right? It's, I mean, it's really those two questions that, yep. you know, sort of every day drive you know, drive the business. College athletics, you know, on the other side of that fence is fundamentally different with so many different constituencies, and you named a, a bunch of them, but also include parents in there, include the high school community, right? Because 
obviously, you know, college coaches live and die with recruiting and high school relationships. So there's probably a dozen legitimate constituencies that any athletic director at big school, small school, doesn't matter, has to deal with. And that includes even, you know, folks that are associate or assistant ADs as they deal with, you know, the various constituencies. So I think the first thing is to recognize all those constituencies, to understand that they too have a, a, a stake. They're, they're stakeholders. They have a, a voice in, in all this that happens. If you're at a public school, guess what? Your state government may have a, 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 a say in, in what happens on your campus. And oh, I think. Yeah, all of those sort of constituencies, sorry. And <laughs> you have to, uh, you have to uh, you know, accept those. And, and again, you have to over communicate. And even if it's uh, taking some of the booster clubs and doing Zoom calls with some of those, you know, boosters or, you know, engaging parents, right? We saw some of the parents in the Big Ten before they announced that they were going to start playing football again. Some of the parents were, you know, protesting in front of the Big Ten headquarters or in front of the various. You know. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's issues like that that are very challenging, obviously, but over communication, even if you're not quite sure sort of where this will all go. I think it just helps to talk to folks, to let them know that you're thinking about it, you're doing the absolute best. That... Sorry, I have to apologize. <laughs> there is, a Zoom call is never complete until there is That's a technology. That's right, no, there's, there's always one. There's all, I thought it was gonna be my 10 month old granddaughter, but uh, you know. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be my cat. A buddy, so. a buddy of mine. So I, I apologize, Janae, and problem. all the, the <laughs> listeners and viewers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so we were talking about sort of uh, the, the the various different uh, constituencies, um, and kind of how we think about. You know, I, I liken it a little bit to you know, being in sales, being in marketing. You're dealing with clients every day, and the worst thing that you can do in any time at any point in time is sort of just drop out of the picture and then expect to re-engage six months later. Um, and so I, I really like what you're saying about, you know, the, the, we, we can't just assume that we've got to try and barrel through. Part of leadership means, being, means taking care of all of the different constituencies, all of the different support groups, because you're going to have to go back um, and re-engage um, hopefully not too far down the road, but we don't know. Um, but I think it is really important. It's almost, you know, you almost shift from sort of managing day-to-day -day operations just to thinking about how do I just keep people engaged? No, that, 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 that's right. You know, people care about college athletics. They care about pro athletics. They care about youth sports as well. They, it, it, it matters, obviously, to a lot of different folks. And, you know, being able to sort of have all these different constituencies realize, okay, this is very, you know, challenging right now. There are a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, who knows? We might be in this a year from now with sort of the same situation with maybe limited fans in the stands or not sure if we can, you know, continue to play games. So this could go on much longer than we think. But I think what's important is so that, that the constituents really appreciate that and hang in there and, and don't, you know, sort of, um, say to themselves, ah, it's just not worth it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop following that program or I'm going to stop being engaged or I'm going to stop, you know, donating uh, if, it, if it would, you know, because it, it, 
that's that it's hard to get that person back on board right it's hard to get that group back on board it's hard to rebuild that that sort of confidence level and that's a lot of work you know it's a lot of, of good old-fashioned hard work um, disciplined work you know talking to people again you know, like a political candidate you got to raise a certain amount of money per day or else you won't be able to pay the bills you got to pull your tv ads the last two weeks of the campaign that's hard and you have to really motivate yourself uh and you know to do that and, and you know where, where that motivation comes from you know i think is sort of that bigger picture of what you want to return to so i've always you know envisioned in myself gosh the moment you walk into a stadium and it's sold out and there's you know 48,000 people there and that's loud that's going to happen again right so let's make sure that first game back when you're able to sell every seat that that's the spirit that you have or you know from the gymnastics world you know when you go to a place like uh, utah where there's just an incredible fan base and there's 15,000 people you know watching a dual meet and you say to yourself that's what you live for as an athlete as a coach as an administrator you know to see that kind of support so it's always been helpful to me to sort of keep that vision of of, of what you ultimately want to return to and, and to return to it you have to kind of keep everybody uh you know during this I'm not sure what even to call it during this slump, during this hiatus. You, know, you have to kind of keep them all as engaged as is humanly possible. Absolutely. Um, one other thing I've, I'd love to get your, your take on, I, you know, in the middle of 2020, the other thing that's going on, it's also causing a certain level of, well, there is a certain level of uncertainty with it. Um, it is certainly staying on the burner um, for now is, is the whole NIL discussion in, 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 mm -hmm. in college. And I know you've been at the forefront of that. Um, and one of the things from a leadership perspective is, you know, how, how do you best help athletes kind of manage all of this, understanding, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, the, the mental health and, and wellness of athletes, um, this is a, you know, an, potentially another really good opportunity for, for, for athletes, but it's also something from the administrator's perspective um, that they, everyone just has to be aware of and how you best support it and how you best support your athletes. Um, I think that it's also something, again, that athletes are just very aware of you know, they, they, um, there, there seems to be just, you know, a level of savvy about athletes as a brand that there may not have been, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So can you talk a little bit about that in terms of managing what right now is uncertainty in that space and what ideally, you know, administrators should be on the lookout for in terms of how they best have to, should support their athletes? Sure. Well, I, I would say that, that, you know, name, image, likeness, NIL is a fundamental shift in how an athlete uh, will look at his or her experience and opportunity, you know, during the four or five or plus, you know, even five plus years on, on a campus. Because for the first time, really, in the hundred and some years of 150 years of college athletics, it's the first time that a student uh, beginning in the summer of 21 will have the ability and the right to monetize his or her name, image, and likeness. That's a major shift, right? Uh, that's a, a, a shift that, you know, hardly could have been contemplated maybe 30 or 40 years ago, but, you know, it's, it, it's happening. Uh, states have passed laws. There have been bills introduced in Congress to sort of, you know, um, 
have a consistent uh, approach across the nation. There's a lot of things still in flux, but the fact of the matter is it will happen. I think it's a great sort of new, robust component of the athletic experience in college. And I think uh, young men and young women will be smart to think about it, look at it, try to take advantage of it, but also not let it sort of control the college experience, right? You, you, were, you were a gymnast at a great institution. I was a football player. Four years, you were busy. <laughs> Practice, Very and, busy. You know, academics, and you want to have a little bit of a personal life. And now there's another element that's sort of brought in there, which is the ability to go out and, uh, you know, and raise money, generate revenue off of your name, image, and likeness. Don't, you shouldn't let any one of those components overwhelm the others, right? Because part of, I think, the beauty of being a student athlete is the ability to do multiple things, you know, to be a great student, to be a great athlete, uh, you know, to be a great person in terms of your personal life and meet people and take advantage of the university environment. Um, so this other component, you know, is important and folks absolutely should take advantage of it, but they should also be smart and not let it overwhelm any of the other components. It's all about keeping things in balance. And I think that's important. I think for administrators, it's a big shift. <laughs> I'm not sure I can emphasize how different, you know, life may be on a campus within an athletic department uh, when all of a sudden you may have 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 of your student athletes who have legitimate profiles and are out there doing things, whether it's social media, you know, whether they're endorsing a product, some of the brands that you work with, or they're doing an autograph session, or they're attending a, a uh, you know, a birthday party for a 10 year old kid, or they're, you know, coming together with three or four of their teammates and they're teaching middle schoolers on a Sunday afternoon, how to hit a curveball, right? Because these are great college baseball players and they certainly know how to hit a curveball. So uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, a very, big sort of space that's opening up really with one fell swoop in the summer of, of 21. A lot of sort of education that I think, you know, administrators have to do. Coaches need to wrap their brains around the fact that, you know, a student athlete now has a fundamental right to go out and monetize the name, image, and likeness. Um, and what's happening, I think, and you know this, uh, Janae, from your work as well, uh, because of the pandemic, because of the social justice concerns that are out there, because of the financial sort of concerns that exist with without fall football or limited fall football and the revenue hits that schools are taking, hardly anybody is really focused on the name, image, likeness piece. That's just now beginning to sort of get some discussion and attention within departments. So long story short, I think a lot of work you know has to be done between now and uh, the summer of 21. And that includes uh, the folks at the NCAA, uh, you know, promulgating the final rules. They aren't set yet. So, uh, you know, many campuses, every campus theoretically is waiting for, for those final rules so that they know what can a compliance officer do and what can't a compliance officer do? What can an AD or another, uh, you know, administra administrator do and what cannot that administrator do? So there'll be some, some fine lines, uh, but it's a big shift. No question about it. I think it can be a shift for the good. Right. I think it can be a bonus, a plus at the end of the day for college athletes and for all the, the programs and the coaches. Um, but it has to be managed well. And that's obviously incumbent upon everybody who's involved in the intercollegiate ecosystem. Absolutely. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of the, you know, as we talk about leadership, a lot of what this does come down to is figuring out how you can best provide support. Because I think, you know, thinking back, 
uh, it's a while ago now, on my, my, gymnastics, <laughs> my, my gymnastic days, um, the, the student piece of it, the, the, the social piece, the athletic piece, and now the, uh, even the idea of adding in a different, another layer, so you know, adding another piece, piece to the pie. I don't think I could have done that if I hadn't had support. I mean, I had, happened to be at Stanford at a time where the athletic department was just incredible, and the, and the, the level of support there was, was really incredible. Um, and thinking about, you know, as people kind of think about in a, a name, image, and likeness, and, or any other, you know, piece that is, that is um, developing within, within an institution, none of it happens in a vacuum, and all of it kind of affects everybody, because everyone has to figure out kind of what role they play in, in supporting the holistic athlete, because that, that, that is really the goal, right, is to make sure that the people coming through your college or university are the best people at the end of the day they can possibly be. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, I think that the vast majority of people who are working, you know, in an athletic department, whether they're coaches or administrators, academic advisors, right, all the different functions, I really do think the vast majority are there because they want to help young people, right? You know, they want to see a young person come in as a freshman, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, naive, <laughs> and walk out of there four, five, whatever years later, maybe with a master's degree, certainly with an undergraduate degree, you know, uh, having had a great experience. And a great experience doesn't always mean just winning every game or match or whatever. It means, you know, growing as a human being, you know, learning how to discipline oneself, learning how to be a member of a team, learning how to win with, you know, with grace and learning how to lose with dignity because we all, you know, at some point we'll lose games and, you know, and, and not have a good performance. Those are all lessons that are critical. So I think with this new NIL ecosystem that I think the vast majority of athletic department personnel will want to help. They'll want to see student athletes take advantage of it, but make sure it doesn't overwhelm other parts of that, you know, that daily experience. That, that, that's important. It's all about, you know, things in, in, in balance. It's the golden mean in, in, in my mind. I've always viewed it that way. Keep everything sort of in balance. And if it's in balance, you'll be able to manage it all. Even you know, even a number of different components like every student athlete has. So I, I'm excited about, you know, this new ecosystem. I think it's going to be fascinating. There's lots of things that could happen between, between now and the summer of, of 21, but uh, there really is a marvelous opportunity for student athletes. And I think as well for the, for the programs, for the schools, for the athletic departments to, to uh, you know, to, to help where they can. You know, but let's not, of course, you know, walk over that line that the NCAA will draw. Absolutely. Well, I think um, I want to make sure we have some time for Q&A because I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> um, but I am going to see if we can uh, maybe start the Q&A session now. So we have a couple. Awesome. Of yeah. All right. So Katie, I don't know if you're there. There you are. Sure. All right, thanks, Janae. Uh, we do have a couple of questions here, but I just want to remind our folks that are joining us on Zoom that if you do have a question, to please go ahead and submit that in the Q&A feature of your Zoom toolbar. Uh, but to start out here, and, and both of you feel free to answer this, uh, but who is the best leader you've worked for or with and why? And what stands out about him or her? Today, I'll, I'll let you uh, take this one first. All right. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I had the, the, 
the good fortune to work at the NBA. Um, I started in 2013. Um, I was I was based overseas, but um, you know I came in right as Adam Silver was starting his uh, um, his first year as commissioner, and I think you know. I've been really, really proud of the, the the time that I was there. I was there. I was at the NBA for five years, a little over five years. And one of the things that um, was really powerful for me is to just see Adam as a leader who is not only incredibly transparent, um, obviously, you know, very sort of forward thinking. Really, kind of got the NBA to a level. Um, both in the in the personal space and the professional space. I mean, he's just been, um, as far as I you know can see, and as far as I've experienced, um, I was really proud to say that I worked there. And part of the reason is because of Adam and because of the the the, the level of transparency and the level of support and the, the the relationship that he has with the players and the players union and all of the constituencies, the teams that he works with, and a lot of what we talked about, Oliver, a lot of those, those leadership skills in, ter in terms of communicating and being very clear, putting a stake in the ground, not apologizing for it, being very, um, um, you know, and, and taking ownership too, you know, taking ownership of every single decision he made. Um, I, I was very um, grateful to be a part of that, that whole experience. That's great. Adam clearly is an awesome leader, and I'm not sure that uh, anybody has done a better job in the pandemic in the sports world of, yeah. you know, shepherding uh, his organization through all these travails. So I'll, I'll answer very quickly. Um, when I was uh, still working for the Houston Dynamo, uh, I was asked to join the West Virginia University Board of Governors, Board of Trustees, right? Uh, Board of Regents, different name. Uh, and uh, we hired a president. Uh, his name was Jim Clements, and he served there for a number of years. He's now the president of Clemson University. Uh, but Jim was an absolutely awesome leader. Um, he brought me on as athletic director, uh, and really between the two of us, we were able to do something that was critically important for my alma mater, West Virginia University, which was to move out of the old Big East, if you remember that conference, which had seen a number of defections. Miami had left, Virginia Tech had left, Boston College had left, Syracuse had, had left. So there, you know, um, it, was, it was really some crumbling, if you will. And we had a very stressful time period uh, leading us into the Big 12, which I think was a, a marvelous conference for a school like West Virginia with, you know, schools like, you know, from Texas and Oklahoma and elsewhere. Uh, but the leadership that, that, so I, that Jim exhibited dealing really with the academic side and, and the political side, and then with me on the athletic side and on the political side as well, because we all know that college athletics can get a little bit political, was a great lesson for me and uh, thoroughly enjoyed that experience working with Jim. Uh, like, like you had said about Adam, you know, somebody that always had your back. Uh, you felt very comfortable. You were willing to take a, 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 certainly a risk, right, because you're putting yourself out there uh, certainly, you know, with this issue of college realignment and where schools may end up. Uh, but that uh, was a leader I really, really enjoyed working for. And I was part, you know, I was kind of proud to have, you know, along with many others, hired him, but then have, to have gone to work for him uh, was, was kind of a nice little, you know, dynamic uh, sort of spirit, if you will. So that, that would be uh, my response to that, to that very good question. 
This next question is for you, Oliver. Um, most times as a leader, you need to think outside the box to find an all-encompassing solution to problems. Can you talk about some of the out-of-the-box platforms or initiatives you created during the early days of the XFL? Yeah, so there was a lot of out-of-the-box thinking that, that we thought was appropriate, right, for a startup league. You know, we were able uh, to do things a little bit differently. We weren't sort of, you know, tied down so much by tradition. So, you know, we spent a good bit of time looking at football rules, right? Not many folks get, you know, all that granular with the rules of, a, of any particular sport. Uh, but we really spent a lot of time not just looking at the rules, but asking fans, asking football fans, pro and college, what they liked, what they didn't like, if they could start a brand new league, how, what, how would they change the game? What new rule would they put in? What rule would they take out? What's, what's a sort of a time waster? Uh, you know, the games change over, over decades and the game that, uh, you know, is being played right now at the college level looks much different than what the game was when I was in school, right? It's a, it's a passing game. You know, quarterbacks are throwing for six and 700 yards a game. That was half a season, you know, back in the 1980s. And the rules have allowed for that. So, you know, we, we felt as though we could uh, come up with a different kickoff, which we did, or come up with a, a different play clock. Ours was a 25-second play clock compared to the NFL's 40-second play clock. We wired virtually everybody on the field, players, referees, coaches, to get that sort of dialogue that normally a fan doesn't hear, and I think people like that as well. So doing all of that, um, you know, but, but keeping one thing in mind, which we didn't want to do, we didn't want to bring any kind of a gimmick into the game. People respect the games too much. They respect the sport too much, whether it's football or any other sport. They respect it too much to make it gimmicky, but they are willing, I think, to entertain innovations that make some sense. So all of the rule changes that we made, we believe were grounded sort of in solid data and were grounded in sort of the desire of the fans to see that. And we believe we're improvements to what we consider to be a great game already. You know, as we like to say, we made football um, not great, but we, we, we gave it just a little bit of you know, pepper and salt to make it even better than it, than it is. Uh, so that's a fun thing to do. And you have to trust, I think, your instincts a little bit in terms of making innovation because you don't want to do silly things or, or as we said, gimmicky things. Uh, but you know, try to keep Try to keep uh, some sort of barriers in, in, in place, some guardrails that you, where you don't fall into that gimmicky space, uh, because that's once you get into that gimmicky space, you, 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 you tend, I think, to lose credibility. Great. Well, the next question here, both of you feel free to answer this. And you talked a little bit about it when you um, were at the point in the conversation and you mentioned student athlete health and wellness. Uh, we know that there's a great deal of pressure on those that are in leadership roles. So what are some examples of practices you have implemented in your own life and career to ensure you're staying physically, mentally, and emotionally as healthy as possible? Go ahead, Janae. Okay, so let's see. So, um, you know, I, I'm always a big believer. I, I, I've been a big believer in yoga, meditation. I, I've actually been doing that for, for several years. I think one of the things that was a benefit for me at, as soon as the pandemic hit, um, I had spent you know, the better part of probably 10 years on traveling on airplanes, you know, 20, 25 weeks out of the year. And so what happened for me was that I was able to just stop and, and, and breathe a little bit. 
And I started um, really kind of exploring the, I was actually left the city for several months and, and moved a little further upstate New York and just really taking walks every day, taking the pets out for walks, um, you know, rediscovering. I am fully convinced that the people that have had sort of the best lockdown experience has by far and away been pets. Um, so I, I really, um, you know, just, just, kind of taking time to do the things that I really didn't do because we're all in this career where it's crazy, it's intense, we're on the road a lot, we're taking care of clients, we're taking care of constituents, we're taking care of our employees. So I actually schedule time in now um, for meditation and then, you know, for, for walks. I don't know what I'm going to do in the, in the winter when the winter hits, but so far that, that's been working pretty well. So I would I would say that um, again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, in times of uncertainty, you go back to sort of those important values, baseline values, and I think that uh, for me to sort of clear my head, I do the same things that I did when I was a 12 year old kid growing up in Cleveland, which is get outside, get outside and ride your bike, find a couple of friends to go shoot hoops or play baseball catch. In the wintertime, I know what I'm going to be doing, which is going skiing, because even in Ohio, north, northeastern Ohio, we've had enough elevation to, to do that. Um, and, and, you know, you go back to the things you really care about, you know, you love your family, right? So I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time during the pandemic with, with uh, my wife, obviously my kids, and we've got, we've got our first granddaughter, 10-month-old. But it's all those things that matter. And it's sort of like that book, right? You learned everything you need to know in kindergarten. I think it's really those things that you would have done if you were 12 or 13 or 14 years old, because those are the things that just gave you a certain level of pleasure. So I'm doing those same things, quite honestly, uh, you know, 45 years later. And uh, they do help me, you know, clear my head and, and kind of just feel good about my ability to sort of master all these crazy things that are happening, at least to some degree, so that you feel like you have a little bit of control over your destiny. Great. Well, last question from me before I turn it back over to you, Janae, as we near the end of the session today. But we've heard before that leaders are readers. So do you both have any book recommendations that you can offer for those joining us today? Well, I just, I just turned around and, and got one off of my little bookshelf. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. It's uh, a fascinating story about World War One in the Brits and the devastation, right, you know, in Europe during the war, 1914 to 1918. But out of that devastation grew this incredibly intense desire to figure out uh, how to climb Mount Everest. And uh, those who are kind of familiar with the story you know, know of a, of a very famous but ill-fated expedition, the Mallory Irvine expedition uh, in the 1920s that uh, they don't know if they made it to the top. They certainly didn't make it down alive if they did make it to the top. But it was just, a, it's, it's a great story. I'm halfway through about incredible physical toughness and what they did, you know, with the equipment of that era uh, to, you know, even consider, you know, getting up to the peak of, of the world. So this is the book that, uh, I am currently reading, Janae. <laughs> so I am. Um, my obsession is on is more to the audio side. So podcasts. I'm a big uh, fan of podcasts. There's two in particular that I'm listening to right now that I, I just find fascinating. One, I, I 
because I am a student of, uh, of history and I always am I'm fascinated by it. One is called Wicked Games and it's kind of the history of uh, political elections all the way up until, ultimately up until this election, but just seeing how um, the, the, the United States has sort of evolved um, over the year, really since the beginning, you know, since the beginning of the U.S. Um, has been, you know, really interesting. And then another one is called Business Wars. Um, Business Wars is a really great, uh, it's a really great listen because it gives you this, they talk about sort of two different businesses. So for example, Netflix and, and Blockbuster and looking at kind of where they went right and where they maybe didn't go so right. Um, you know, and Nike and Adidas talking about sort of the two sort of contrasting businesses. Um, I, and there's a lot of sort of leadership, you know, there were a lot of key decisions that were made with several of these businesses. And I just, I love the way that the, tor the story is told. It's a really, really engaging series. So those would be my two recommendations. Great. Well, Janae, I'll turn it back over to you as we conclude today's session. Fantastic. So we are exactly one minute over, um, but Oliver, I really wanted to thank you again um, for your time and sharing a couple of pearls of wisdom. Um, I, I think that you know every single time we can we can learn something and we can you know take away um, some some a few nuggets from you. I think we're all better for it. So just thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you, Janae. You did an awesome job as well. And let me thank uh, Katie and Bob and all the good folks uh, at NACTA. And uh, happy to do it. And ho hopefully we'll do this uh, at some point in the future. Hopefully. And hopefully we'll do it in person as well. <laughs> That's right. That'd be even, that'd be even better. But I'll, I guess we'll sign off. Yes, Thanks we will sign much. off now. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Janae and Oliver, thank you very much. Um, Really appreciate your time today. Uh, over communicate, uh, be transparent, and uh, everyone uh, take some me time. It's important to have that me time, get away and, and clear your minds. But uh, really appreciate uh, the time you both gave us today and all of you out there who are with us. Thanks for joining and all of you be safe. Thank you again. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks, Bob. Bye.